I'm so excited to be here. How many enjoyed Brother Lawrence's message last week in first service? Amen. I always think it's amazing to hear the words of the Lord coming forth. And sometimes you all think I bring the heat. I love when these, uh, these preachers come from the different ministries and they bring that heat in their own perspective. I love what Rudy did in second service. We're all seeing things in the body of Christ according to the gifts and the callings that God has given us. Amen? That's why it's important. Let me just put this plug in here for you to be a part of the life groups because you have a gift. You have a calling. You have a word. You can share those there. Amen? Be a part of what God is doing. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 16. I'm ready. Don't be afraid. The shore is closer than you think. Don't be afraid. The other side of where you're going is closer than you think. Can I hear an amen? We're looking at John chapter 6, verse 16, verse by verse through the book of John in first service. And what we see is this popular passage about Jesus walking on the water. It's found in three of the four of the Gospels. We hear about this story from John in a unique way. What I will not do this time, just because I wanted to give you the perspective of John, is tie in the surround sound of the other Gospels. So when you hear this story of walking on the water, you will not see Peter walking with Jesus on the water. You have to read another gospel for that. You won't see Jesus calming the storm in the book of John. Once again, you have to go to another gospel for that. What I want to do is stay true to the book of John. No contradiction. That is just surround sound compliment to the story. But what I want to do is hand this to you as if you didn't know Matthew, as if you didn't know Mark, and someone gave you this scripture from the Apostle John. John. So in other words, would you just for a moment read this story as if you didn't know all the other details of the surround sound and hear what John is giving in this sign? Can I hear an amen? Some of you don't know that the Gospels have different perspectives, but that's what we want to teach through the verse by verse so that you can understand their different perspectives. But this time, I want you to see just John's perspective. We could talk about Peter in the Matthew series. We could talk about the calming of the storms in the Mark series. But what I, want you, what I want you to see here by God's grace is not to be afraid because the shore is closer than you think. What you're going to see in John's perspective, the way he tells the story, is something that is not found in the other ones. If you are thankful for John bringing up new information, can I hear an amen? There's a reason why Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels because they have a lot of things in harmony together. John, we believe, comes later, though we don't know this for fact. He could have came first, but he brings new information. And so it's on that information I want you to focus on today. We can talk about water walking next time. Amen? Anybody walking on the water with Jesus? Amen. We'll talk about that in another portion of our scripture. So go with me to John chapter 6, verse 16. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Thank you. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, somebody say that's a long way. Have you ever rowed before? Not many of us have rowed, but I've gone kayaking. Three or four miles is a long way, okay? So they're in the middle of a storm, and they're tired, and it's dark. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water. 
Now, many people don't even get this right here. How did Jesus even catch up to them? How is Jesus even able to do this? So this right here is already a miracle, which I'm going to get into in just a little bit. I'm going to talk about some beam me up Scotty stuff in the Bible. Are you ready for transportation? Y'all just think that's in the movies? That started here before beam me up Scotty. And, and it's going to test your faith. Do you believe the scriptures? How many believe the scriptures? I'm going to explain to you from a rational reason why you can believe the scriptures. Some people say, I just take it on faith. You don't only have to take it on faith. I'm going to give you reasons to believe this rationally. And they already know this right now in quantum physics, that particles can be oftentimes in two places at one time, and they can transport from one place to another. This is amazing. We already see it in the natural, but God gave us the natural, and he can go supra-natural and bring supernatural. Amen? God can take it to that whole nother level. Just want you to see that in the story because they've rode about three or four miles. They're not by where Jesus was anymore. And then all of a sudden, they see Jesus walking by the boat. Was he jogging? Was he running? Or did he just, boop, just appear and start walking? We'll, we'll get into that in just a moment. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. How many of you would be frightened? I mean, that just doesn't make sense, especially if you're fishermen and you're used to being out there. Many of them were. But he said to them, it is I, ego and me. You want to learn Greek? Somebody want to learn Greek? That's okay. Come on. I tried to espanol every now and then. I tried to hablar espanol. I tried to learn a bit of French. You know, I saw some people the other day from Germany, and I, I only knew one word, uh, one phrase, and I waited to do it just at the right time. And then that, as they were leaving, I said, Asfidesen. I was like, all right, man, I got my German now. That's how I come, man. But I didn't know any other way to greet them or talk to them, but I knew they were German. But, but just I waited for that point. But if y'all want to learn Greek, somebody say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Amen. Here's my best way of teaching you. Ego and me. Emi. Ego, emi. There you go. The ego is where we get the ego. Everybody have heard that before, right? That's English. The ego, the ego. The ego, pronounced with the Greek accents, ego, means I. And then emi is M. This is the divine name of God used throughout the Bible. In Hebrew, I won't try to pronounce it in Hebrew, but in Hebrew, it's I am as well. And that's where we get the word Yahweh from. In the Greek, it's ego am I. Now, it's not just by itself sacred unto God only. In other words, if you were speaking in Greek, and you know, people still use the language, you could say this about yourself, you know, I am, ego am I. You could use these words to describe yourself. But notice how Jesus uses those words, that phrase. I am. Because when I ask you a question or you're talking in everyday English and you say I am, you're not trying to say you are the self-existing one, that you are the God of the Bible. But when Jesus uses it, you notice that it's at these exact points where the question is, who is he? So in other words, he is out there walking on the water in the middle of a storm. He has caught up to them miraculously and now they see him and they're freaking out and he says, ego and me. How many know now that means something more than just I am? It means I am that I am that I am the self-existing one. I change not. I am God. I mean, that's what he's saying there. And then right after that, don't be afraid. And in the Greek, and since we're here and I was studying this out, it's, it's beautiful because it's basically very simple. I am, fear not. That's literally what it says. I am. Is, who is this? What's going on? I am and fear not. 
We have to remember that he is the great I am and that we are to fear not. We are to fear not knowing that the great I am is with us. Can I hear an amen? That's going to be the message, but I just want you to get it there in the context. Then they were willing to take him into the boat. See, after this conversation, then they take him into the boat and immediately, everybody saying immediately. Thank you. And immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So notice here, no calming of the storm. That's in other gospels. That's not a contradiction. This is just a compliment. In the other gospels, Peter starts interacting with Jesus before he gets into the boat, and then Peter walks on water. Once again, not a contradiction, a compliment. But what John wants you to see is that Jesus comes to them, declares his divinity, because remember in the gospel of John, that is his point from get-go. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John contains more I am statements, ego and me, statements than any other gospel. So he's staying true to his theme. But then notice this, that is not found in the other gospels. Immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And so we see a miracle of transportation. And I want us not to overlook this miracle because in our lives, God can bring us somewhere quicker than we could ever get there on our own. God can bring you to the shore quicker than your little hands could row yourself there. Amen. God is still able to get you to where you need to be in a way that you never thought he was able to do. But if he can get you to trust him on this journey as he being the great I am, he can bring you to that place in Jesus' name faster than you've ever thought. Amen. Some of you are looking at the shore and it seems very far away and the idea of you reaching there seems almost impossible. But God can bring you there immediately. Not everything in life is going to be immediate. There will be journeys. There will be many steps along the way. And I'm one of those pastors that always want to bring out realism with optimism. I always want it to be real, but I want you to, to see the, ca- the cup more full than empty. So I'm a realist, but I'm also an optimist. Anybody else like that? Because you can be a realist and then a pessimist. And then some people, you know, they don't pay attention to anything. You know, they're, they're, ju- they're just what we would call a surrealist. They're living in another world denying everything. No, it's, you got to be a realist no matter what. But after you take on the facts, after you understand what's going on as a realist, now how are you going to see all of these situations in your life? Are you going to see them optimistically or pessimistically? And so when we look at the scriptures, there are many things that I have to be real about. Not every miracle comes immediately. So I have to teach you as a pastor, encourage you to pray and keep praying. There, there are many of you that are believing for lost loved ones to be saved, sicknesses to be healed, and you are praying and you are not fainting. Can I hear an amen? And it's my job to encourage you to pray and faint not, to keep knocking on heaven's door until that answer comes. But I, I would be remiss if that's all I told you about. If, if, that, if I told you it's always going to be a struggle, it's always going to take time, you know, it's always going to be a fight to, to the bitter end. That would, that would not be a good pastor because there are some things that God can do right now and bring you immediately into the blessing, into the miracle, into the new season, into the breakthrough, into that new financial situation, into that new job, into that new business. God can do it ahora, right now, in Jesus' name. 
There are things that God can do that way, and I feel that sometimes we get stuck in one ditch or the other. Sometimes, you know, people on the now side, if God doesn't do it now, right away, their way, they get discouraged, and so i got to preach to them about staying true in the battle and about holding on and not giving up. And then there's others that you've been holding on and not giving up in so many things that you forgot that our God can say, let there be light and bang, it happens in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe in the big bang. God said it and bang, it happened. We, we, we need to live with both of those understandings of God. Not everywhere they went was a transportation miracle. They traveled along every other day in a normal fashion. And so if you're looking at the pattern of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus is that things sometimes uh, are going to take a little while, and you've got to be patient. That's the pattern. But there are times where God will break in and do a sign or a wonder. And what is a sign or a wonder? It's a sign that God does that makes you wonder, what is he up to? And he's going to show the world how good he is. Amen? It's a sign in your life that people are going to wonder and say, wow, how did that happen? How did you arrive at this place? How did this miracle come to you? How did you get blessed in this way? I thought you were struggling. Now you're saying you got three businesses. What's going on? It's a sign that makes them wonder. Well, I thought you were going to be a bachelor to the rapture. How are you already married and have kids now? What did God do? Come on, somebody. God can do it. Amen. And so it says that they immediately reached the shore where they were heading. Do not be afraid. The shore is closer than you think. Verse 22, now we catch up to what the crowd is thinking, and then we'll move on by God's grace in the next weeks into some deep doctrine about Jesus being the bread of life. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite side of the, uh, the lake realized that only one boat had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone alone. So they're trying to figure this out. Jesus is not here anymore. The disciples left in that one boat, and what's, what's up? Like there's no other boats, and there's no Jesus. So then they wait there, verse 23, some boats from Tiberias land near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So they're looking around there like, man, did he sneak off in a boat we didn't see, and now he's come back. And now verse 24, it says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Don't be afraid. The other side is closer than you think. I know that many of us here today can relate to the disciples spiritually being in storms, being in tough situations, being in circumstances that are out of our hands. And oftentimes, when we are in that situation, when we are in those times at the hospital bed, when we are looking at our bills and there's more month than there's money, can I hear an amen for some people keeping it real? You know what I'm saying? The money run out the second week of the month. I'm looking at my wife going, I mean, how are we doing this? I've already had, anybody else already have to double their gas budget? I've already doubled my gas budget. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how can I save, you know? How, how can I, I mean, I already shop at all these. Where do I go after that? To the food bank? I mean, I already gave up Jewel a long time ago, you know? And when Dominic shut down, I said, well, that, that serves you right. You mistreated me all this time, charging me $10 for a loaf of bread that, you know, you should have known better. That's why I had to go to Aldi's, you know. But where do you go after Aldi's? You know, we can all relate to this recession or inflation or whatever we're going through at this time. 
But then there are individual situations that we face. If I was to ask you in your life right now, what is a storm you feel like you're rowing against? You know, where, where is a place right now you feel like you're three, four miles out in this thing, you can't see land, and it's pitch black? I mean, where are you right now? I mean, let's keep it real. Everybody here is going to tell us a story, right? And if you're not in one of those right now, it's because you just probably got out of one. And uh, the real truth is you're probably coming into one here pretty soon, so hold on. But it doesn't mean that life has to be just woe is me. It doesn't mean that we have to look at it in such a way to go, well, I'm always going to be in a storm. I might as well get used to storms. You know, it's, it's always going to be dark as night out here. You know, I'm always going to feel tired and wore out. That's just the way life is. No, that's pessimism. That's not faith. Because what does God do in the middle of their situation? He shows up, shows off, and brings them right to the shore. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And it, the whole situation changes. And so that's why you can't let, and I know preachers have said it, but i got to say it again here today, you cannot let your present circumstances dictate your identity. You cannot let the trial and the test determine your praise. You cannot and I cannot allow the storms to determine whether or not we're going to have a good day in Jesus. The storms of life, they come. They come when we unexpect them. That's why they're storms. They're, they're, they're not the things that we're ready for. I don't know about you, but I started off this year, you know, just looking at the economy with a whole other set of expectations of what I thought would be going on here. I said, finally, we're done with COVID. Everything's opening back up. We're ready to go back to work. Everybody's going back to their offices. The, you know, the, the businesses are opening up. Man, the prices are going to drop. Were you all ready for a war with Russia and Ukraine? Was that on your mind? I mean, unless you're a prophet here, it probably wasn't on your mind. Were you thinking to yourself that the gas was going to double and that all of all things that was going to happen for all of our new moms here, that baby formula would be missing? I mean, who predicted that, that kind of madness? And here we are, and now we're in these kinds of storms. But like I said, then we're in these other ones that are individual. Some of you, you, you are, you're an adult. You're moved out of your family's house, and you think to yourself, I'm not going to have any trouble with my parents. But you, like me, probably have been in estranged relationships before with them and wonder, how did I get here? And I, I've been there even with my Christian family, not able to talk to them for a certain amount of time because we can't agree and we can't come in peace together. And I'm asking myself, how in the world am I in the middle of a storm with my own Christian parents as a grown adult pastor and I got to give them some space and grace in Jesus' name? <laughs> Have you ever had to give somebody some grace in space? I mean, I'm just keeping it real right here. I, I, know, I know you might think to yourself, well, pastor, you should just get along with everybody. You're a pastor. No, you don't know pastors then. Man, I've had to learn to give people grace in space, even my own parents. And sometimes I find myself in the storms of emotions. I know we, we look at each other on Sundays. We see each other praising God. But we don't know the storms that we're going through in our own hearts. And you can even be married. You can have a best friend. You can have a roommate that won't even know it really like how you're going through it. And, and you try to express it, but you can't put it into words what it's really doing to you on the inside. Oftentimes I think about men this way and that, that uh, TikTok that came out that said, if a man tells you he's doing all right, chances are he's not doing all right. 
Now, for me, most of the time, I am all right, so you can just relax a little bit, keep checking on me. No, but pastor, are you really all right? No, but this is true because I know many men that will tell other dudes after they're asked, like, man, how are you doing? Man, I'm doing good, bro. How are you doing? And they're not doing good. They're not doing all right. They're not handling the stress well. You can ask their wife. You can ask their kids. It's not going good at home. And yet we don't know how to share those things with others. We're, we're in this place, and I just want to say this one more time, where you feel like you're three or four miles out, and it's pitch black, and it's windy, and it's stormy, and, 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 and everything that you are looking at in the natural says, this is not going to end well. But can I encourage you in those times to look for the great I am? Can I encourage you in those times to look and see if Jesus is nearby? Because I have a testimony for you today that every test that I've been through, God has always proven to be faithful. And as the old timers used to say, he may not come when you want him. Hey, it may seem sometimes like he's late, but he's always on time. He's an on-time God. I just want to encourage somebody today. If you're out there in the, in the lake, if you're out there three or four miles out and it's pitch black and nobody else can relate to what you're going through, you can't even tell Peter what's going on. You can't even tell John what's going on. You're just keeping it to yourself. I just want to encourage somebody to look out across the storm and look for a storm walker named Jesus that's willing to get into the boat with you. He's willing to get into the boat with you. These are not cheap preaching words. These are words that have kept Christians throughout the centuries. I think about our dear brothers and sisters even now. Pray for Nigeria for peace and safety as the Muslims are ransacking the Christian villages as we win the war of worldviews without a sword. The Muslims are getting pushed back by our Christian preachers. They're losing their ground, and now they're losing their mind, and they're, they're butchering, they're burning, they're harming these Christians. And I could just imagine a, a dear sister right now, or a dear brother, or a child in Nigeria coping with the loss of their loved one, feeling like America and places like here where it's free to worship God is so far away. And they've already made, made to be, you know, leave their village and they've already had to escape from the Muslims. And they're somewhere right now hiding out, you know, fearing for their own lives. I just want them to know today that the storm walkers coming to them, that they don't need to give up, that Jesus Christ is closer than they know, and that he's going to bring them to the other side. Nigeria will be one for Jesus. I know these promises, they seem easy for a preacher to say with a new Miami tan. You know, clean cut. Here under the bright lights, it seems easy for me to say that. But I too know what it's like in the middle of the night to be woken up with all the stress. And everybody, listen to me. I may not carry your stress, but the devil knows how to bring enough stress to all of us to break us. How many know he's a good devil? He's bad in the sense of being evil, but how many know he's good at being a devil? He's seen us before. We're not the first humans he's dealt with. He's practiced his craft of discouragement and condemnation over thousands of years of human people. 
He spots your weakness a mile away. He knows how to come at you. And so as he comes at me, it may not be the same like he comes at you. But it's enough to break me, to get me almost to lose my mind. I was talking to my mom the other day when I was out there in Florida visiting with them, and, and she's now almost 80 years old, and she said when she used to go to church and she heard the old-timers testify, they would start off a lot of times, uh, brothers and sisters, I'm just so glad to be here today. He woke me up and put me in my right mind. My mom said that when she was a younger middle-aged woman, she used to hear those old sisters and go, come on, mama, can't you say something else other than that? But now that my mom's almost 80 years old, she's happy to wake up every morning with their sound mind. And she said, I can relate to those old mamas now because I'm glad I'm not putting the pumpkin in the oven thinking I'm cooking a turkey. And that's, by God's grace, that's what my grandma did as she went out through Alzheimer's. I know I caught you on laughing on that, but that's serious. You can lose your mind, seriously, and not even know you lost it. How do you find what you don't know is even lost? That's what Alzheimer's does. And so I'm, I want us to be encouraged today to know that God is with us, that if you're here today in your sound mind and you can hear the preaching of the gospel, these words are not cheap. The devil knows how to tempt you. He knows how to get you and I out of the boat to jump out and just give up. But God knows how to give us what we need exactly when we need him. I could just testify a few times. I remember I was doing the Vivid's wedding in Arizona. It was the middle of the winter, and they picked a beautiful spot to have a wedding in January, I believe, out in Arizona, sunny Arizona. And uh, I did something really bad. I came super late because I was out hiking all day. <laughs> And they were like, where's Pastor Joe? Somewhere up there on that mountain over there. So I'm running back, uh, doing all that I can to show up. And it was beautiful. It was probably my favorite wedding to be a part of. It, just something about it. I've been to so many weddings, so please don't feel bad if yours is not my favorite. But it's just, it just was. It, there was just something about it, the look of the area and how they had the ceremony. It was amazing. I, I was a pastor living out my dreams. I had flown in in the middle of a Chicago winter, you know, the sun going down at four in the afternoon, freezing weather. And before you know it, I'm out there hiking, doing what I've always wanted to do, you know, things like that. I've never seen Arizona before. And the wedding was beautiful. It was perfect. It was awesome. And I'm heading in the rent-a-car on my way to the airport. And I get the message, and I don't remember from who, but I get the message that says, your best friend, and I won't mention his name, has just admitted to having adultery, an adulterous affair with his intern. He's losing the ministry and his wife. I cannot put into words how that hit me that day. I've been around the ministry for a long time, even up to that point, close to 20 years, and I've heard the stories of people falling. I've, I've, I've heard those stories over and over again. I've seen them happen even with my own heroes. And, and you would think that it would be grieving and sad, but just something I could move past. But there was something about this situation that just hit me so hard because I had just preached for him a few weeks earlier. 
And he had picked me up with this young lady. And I had tried to warn him. And I would say, why are you alone with a woman in a car picking me up? And then the oddest thing, they, they went to a bank and he's asking her for her ATM. And he's using her ATM to pull out money. The whole entire thing was messed up. And yet, he didn't listen to me. He didn't confess to me. He didn't ask for prayer. And so there in Arizona, I know that it, it should have been easy. Like for you, you might have heard it and you just, you just would have kept going. No big deal. But I want to tell you, in that rental car by myself in Arizona, headed to a flight, I felt like I was three miles out in the deep and it was pitch black because all these fears started coming into my mind from the devil. You see, that's, that's what's going to happen to you. I'm coming for you next. He said it would never happen to him. And I'm going to take away your family. I'm going to find what you want. And I'm going to bring that to you to the point you can't say no. And you're going to lose it all. That's what it felt like for me. I had not even contemplated adultery. I wasn't, if you would have put me on a lie detector test five minutes before that temptation came into my mind and, and, and you would have asked me, are you thinking about cheating on your wife? Are you thinking about adultery? Is there anything about adultery on your mind? I would have said no and I would have passed everything that you would have given me. But within moments, the fear of adultery, I'm not even talking about lust. I didn't even have anybody in my mind to lust about. I'm just talking about the fear the fear of losing this, the nightmare of giving my life to my wife and to my kids and to the church and to integrity and honor and dignity, the fear became so real that when I came home, I told my wife, I said, I'm not right in my head right now. I don't feel right. She said, get some sleep because I had caught two red eyes to get there. And thank God sleep does help. Amen. But I woke up, and that fear just kept overwhelming me. And so I began to talk to my leaders, and I said, what's going on? And they said, you've never had so much. And the devil knows that you love everything God has given you. And so now with having so much, he knows you have so much to lose. And if he can't get you to commit the sin of adultery, he'll have you be under the fear of it the rest of your life. So they began to pray with me. The elders began to pray with me at that time. And I just began to seek the Lord. And what the Lord told me to do is what I had been studying in seminary at that time was to write out resolutions like Jonathan Edwards had and other great men of God. I resolve by the power of Jesus Christ to do such and such a thing. I resolve. And I began to write out these resolutions. And by God's grace... That was the last time you ever saw me at 286. If you look back at pictures, that was the last time I was ever the healthy pastor, the plump pastor, because I said, I'm going to put my appetite in check. I'm not going to even leave an open door. If the devil thinks he can get me through my appetite and then change it to sex, I'm going to close that door right now in the name of Jesus. See, that might not have made sense to anybody here. A diet doesn't, you know, you're not that serious about that diet. I understand. I trust me. I've yo-yo dieted. But something checked that day where I understood there's something that I'm not submitting to as God has told me to. I'm putting it all under Jesus. Every bit of it. 
I then began to look at my schedule, and I said, I will not waste my time. Some of you remember around that time we then had the idea to go get a gospel truck. And I said, I'm going to go out and preach on the streets. I will be so busy preaching for Jesus Christ that the devil has no time to tempt me with those things. And so if you, come on, let's be honest. If you were to ask me, Joe, what is in the last, you know, four or five years? How long have you guys been married now? Five years, seven years? Seven years, wow. If you were to ask me, Joe, in the last seven years, what's been the greatest storm of your life? And I tell you that, some of you would be like, I mean, that's it? Joe, I lost my mom. I lost my uncle. I've been fired. I've gone through this. I've gone through that. Yeah, but listen, the devil's good at his job. See, the devil knows me losing a job. That that probably wouldn't, wouldn't hit me like that. Losing a family member, I mean, it may not hit me like that. You see, the devil knew where to hit me and make me feel like I was three, four miles out in the deep water, pitch black. But during that time, you know who I saw? I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus. I'm going to say it again. I saw Jesus. I started prayer walking as I was losing weight. I was walking all the time, and every walk became a prayer walk. And I started singing hymns, and I started memorizing Scripture, and I started believing every word that God had ever spoken over my life, and every resolution became what I am today. You see, Jesus showed me who he was in that time. And he just showed up, showed off, and did what only he could do. And then I realized the shore was closer than I thought. Because I didn't have to row another three or four miles to get through that. I didn't have to go years and years and years and through counseling. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But all God wanted me to do was see him in the middle of that storm. And then before you knew it, I showed up on the other side with a sound mind, doing ministry in a new way, losing weight, hallelujah, teaching and the preaching on the streets with the gospel truck. And you might say, Pastor Joe, how did you get over there so quickly? It's because right here, Jesus came, told me to fear not, and brought me to the other side. If you were to ask me now, what did those last years feel like? It felt like immediately. Immediately breakthrough. Immediately weight dropping off of me. Immediately my wife and I developing our relationship even deeper. Immediately more children coming even after that. Immediately more preaching and ministry. And a peace knowing the devil is a liar. The storm is not who I am. I felt like a storm that day. It did. It felt like a storm that day. But that storm is over, and I'm still standing in Jesus' name. I want to encourage somebody here today in the middle of the storm. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming, and he's going to bring you to the other side. He's going to do what you can't do for yourself. I'll say one more story before we go to the other scriptures. Somebody say, this is just the introduction. This is just the introduction before I go back to teaching it because I want you to relate to it today. I want you to be encouraged by it today. My father was always responsible as a businessman growing up in the house of the child of an immigrant from Poland. His father went to World War II and I believe also to Korea, saved up his money. This is my grandfather. Saved up his money by working at the post office to then invest in real estate 
in Chicago and then became a landowner around here. And my grandfather knew that they were going to go to the suburbs in the 50s and 60s. And believe this or not, but it's true, he bought land in Barrington while it was just cornfields. And they sold that even after he passed, which was, I think, about 15 years ago. Just imagine how much he got on return from investing in those places. So my father grew up in that environment. He grew up with a spirit of excellence. He didn't quite know the Lord, but Roman Catholic, he knew to be a God-fearer. The morality of God was instilled into him. As he went to college, he began his, his business journey. And in his business journey, he got into the gas industry. How many know they're still making money? <laughs> they're still making money right now. And so he was working with the gas industry. And after a while, he became an accountant, and he would kind of do both. But at some point, he said, instead of just working with them or being an accountant that helps other businesses, I'm going to start my own gas station this was in the early 80s where the convenience store model really wasn't around except for the 7-Eleven. But this now would be what you would know as one of those rest stops or those places where you could go to the gas station and get all these other things. Whenever we travel, we go to Love's. We have a place that we like to go to called Love's. They've traveled with us before. And you can get a lot of stuff there and see in the 80s. In the 90s, they didn't really have those. You just went to a gas station or you went to 7-Eleven. Everybody tracking with me. So my dad took his life savings. He took all that he had. He was a Christian man at this time. He was one to the Lord by Baptist men. He met my mother. She came out of a bad relationship. They moved from the Chicagoland area to Indiana. And he's doing what he believes he can do the best at. He had been in the gas industry. He was an accountant. He had serviced people who were doing these kinds of businesses. He understood the model. He invested his life savings. And he started a business with what he felt was God's plan. But the business never was profitable. He kept losing money. And you have to understand, for an overachiever to lose that something, it's the worst feeling. I don't mean to put some of you down, but some of you are used to losing. You need to get used to winning in Jesus' name. And for those of us who have been used to winning, we need to understand how to take some L's every now and then. Amen? And it became hard. And yet he never, never stopped tithing. Never stopped going to church, surfing. I remember going to that gas station, that C store, that convenience store, as it was called, and painting the curves, stocking the shelves, and going out into the neighborhood, handing out the flyers. That was my introduction into business as a young man. And then the story goes that my father couldn't even meet the bills to pay the, dead, uh, the deadlines, to pay the bills, so he borrowed money from his father, and it still didn't work. Imagine being a Christian having been successful in business, now taking everything that you have, putting it into a business that you're an expert at in one way. You've been on both sides of the industry. You've been doing this for a long time, and yet you're failing, and it's not getting better. It's even getting worse, and you're borrowing money from those you love that believe in you, that trust you. And my dad says the story in his own words. I'm summarizing now that one day when my mom was paying the bills, there was no more money after that bill, and my dad said, shut it down. Could you imagine that as a middle-aged man living in the suburbs, having gone to college to be successful, now shutting down the business as what the world would call a failure? But you know what? Jesus came to my father. Jesus was walking right alongside of him.
My father gave me what he had on his desk all of these years. And it is a picture of a young man steering a ship in the storm. And right behind him, with his hands on his shoulders, is Jesus. My father learned to trust Jesus through the storm. Is anybody listening here? After he closed down that business, what looked like a failure to everybody around him, as a middle-aged man, I believe now in his early 40s, with a son that he'll talk about me, who was rebellious, going full devil, going full throttle towards the devil, all of this pressure on him, he went into another business, started from scratch with people younger than him. But you know what God did? In the last 15 years of his life, he made more than all the 30 years combined. Can I hear an Amen. The last 15 years of the new industry that he got into financial planning was from glory to glory to glory. He would, he would win awards. They would fly him out to places. My dad would be sitting at the table. Everybody would be talking about this and talking about that, all bragging. But when the awards came, not one of them's name would be called. But then my dad's name would be called. He would get the award, come back and sit down. Everybody would look at him. Well, what's going on? Why didn't you say anything? He said, I don't have to say anything. The works speak for themselves. You see, you may be in the storm like that right now where your finances feel like you're three miles out in pitch darkness and you may have to shut down some things. Sometimes we take steps back to go forward. And I know that we question ourselves and our worth and our value. But what my dad taught me during those times is that you may fail, but you're never a failure. You're more than a conqueror with Jesus Christ. Amen. And there is no loss that you can't gain from. Are you listening to me? Anything that you lose in the end, you will gain back 30, 60, and 100 fold. And there is never any wasted pain in this life. Any pain that you ever have, God will turn to work for your purpose and for his glory. So today, do you want to learn to see Jesus in the middle of the storm? Have him show you who he is so that you can go to the other side. If that's you, can I hear an amen? Amen. In the few moments that we have left, turn with me to the famous passage, Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. I won't keep you much longer. The introductions are normally longer than the message, so relax. But I want to encourage you today to know that Jesus is with you and that your fear is not your reality. I love the acronym for fear, false evidence appearing real. Some fears are real. Some, some of them are good, and they, they are there to help us. That The fear is there to help us to run away, to fight, or to have a flight. But a lot of the anguish that we deal with, the fears that we are facing, they are not real. It's false evidence appearing real. These are discouragements. These are things that get us to doubt ourselves or doubt our God. These kinds of fears make us feel like nothing will change. But the Bible says that he's the great I am. Amen? And nothing's impossible with him because with him I am possible. 
Amen. The great I am takes the impossible things and makes them possible. Please hear these preaching, uh, these preachers' one-liners today and believe them because they are tested and true. They have made it through the valleys of other people's lives. They have made it through the storms. And those of us who have come out on the other side are shouting them to you today, even as I shout it to myself. The great I am takes impossible situations and says, I am possible. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Jesus knows how to bring our souls to rest. I was talking to some young cool dudes at the wakeboard park the other day, and they, you know, they're action sport athletes. They're in the magazine. They're the who's who of wakeboarding, in other words. And I was sharing with them that only God can fill the soul in a unique way. Only God can bring rest to the soul. And God knows what your soul needs today. Give control of your soul to the shepherd of your soul today. He'll lead you besides those still and quiet waters. If, if you were to ask my dad, how did he see Jesus in the storm? It would look unique to his circumstances. How did Jesus reveal himself as the great I am to my father? It would look unique to my dad's circumstances because God knew what he needed as well with me. It's unique to my circumstances. And God knows exactly what you need. Can I hear an Amen. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. You see, it's God's name that is on the line. Those are his disciples. In the story, those are Jesus' disciples. He's the one that told them, go to the other side. If they don't get to the other side, Jesus is a liar. Jesus looks bad. If Jesus doesn't come through for you, his name is at stake. He's the one that the people will mock and ridicule. How many know that's true? And the Bible even says that they mock his name now because of the sins that we commit, and we ought not to cause him any reproach. Can I hear an amen? But when they see you come through the storm and you still got your hair done and you still got, you still got your makeup on, ladies and, and, and fellas, and you still got your right mind and didn't have to get drunk every night. When you make it through the storm and people look at you and say, what happened? You'll say the great I am showed up. Jesus showed up. That's what happened. Jesus did what he promised he would do for his name's sake. You want to know why this church is still growing? Even though people come and go, say what they want about us, media says what they want about us, it's for his name's sake. We put his name on it in Jesus' name. We made the cross the center of all that we do. His commands are the desires of our heart. When I first started off in the ministry, people wanted to see me fail so that I could suffer. They didn't care about the name of Christ. They just wanted to see me suffer. See, but God cares about his name. God cares about his reputation. He doesn't want us to look bad in front of the world because the world is watching. Now, if they want to persecute us, that's up to them. But one thing that they'll always recognize is that God is with us. We may take a licking, but we keep on ticking in Jesus' name. Amen? Even though I walk through the darkest valley. You see that in scripture, right? So if you find yourself in a dark valley, is that strange? Is that, is that unique just to you? You did something wrong. You got to be superstitious now and say, oh man, I missed a day of prayer. That's why I got a flat tire. You know? Oh man, you know, I got, you know, I, I got sick and that's because I didn't do this. You know what? 
All of this is natural to the human experience. But there's a supernatural power that says we don't have to accept it in Jesus' name. Because even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. I want that to be the cry of every person's heart in this church. I fear no evil. Will you say it with me? One, two, three. I fear no evil. Hallelujah. Why? For you are with me. The great I am is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What Jesus uses to whoop the devil comforts me. Amen. My children ask me, man, you know, dad, why you got a gun on you? Because that's for the bad guys. That comforts them. Amen. I don't show it off to them, but every now and then, you know, I might set it on the table before I get something to eat. I'm a pistol packing preacher, if you didn't know that, by the way. Everybody act right, don't act up. Amen. You say fear. Amen. I know ain't nobody shooting up this church in Jesus' name. Amen. You start hearing it go off. Y'all don't have weapons. You just go down. We're taking care of it. Just go down and just let us do our work in here. Amen. No, but I'm serious. My kids look at me carrying a gun. They know I have guns. I take my wife shooting. You know, she can carry a gun, all of this, and, and she's taking the classes. That, that can be scary for a child. Why, Dad, why, why do you have a gun? It's to whoop the bad people. That's why I have it. See, now they become, more, they, 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 become more, they become more comforted by their father because that, now they go, oh, man, if there's a bad guy that comes around, daddy's going to take care of it. Daddy's going to whoop him with a rod of iron. Amen? That's my rod of iron. It comes out in nine millimeter sizes. It's iron. Amen? Amen? And I know, I know some people say, well, I just don't feel comfortable going to a church like that. That's okay. You can go to one of them over there then. The one of them over there that you're going to get possibly shot up and everybody going to run and hide. Not, not here in Jesus' name. Amen? But listen, listen. That comforts me that my God has a rod next to him. Because when those sheep come, all I got to do is just get behind him and say, come on. I mean, when those wolves come, all I got to do as a sheep is just get behind him and say, come on, try it now. All right, big bad wolf, come on, try it now. I was in Florida, and I always got to visit my, my dude out there. His name's Uncle Dave. He's not my real uncle, but he should be. My other uncles, they need Jesus. This one got so much Jesus, he's giving it all away. He's got, tw he's got 200 acres in Florida, man. It's beautiful. God's going to bless him when they start putting suburbs out there. Amen? You know what he shows me? All the stuff that he kills that comes messing with his cows and stuff. He said, over here, I killed a gator. He showed me the gator, just laying dead in there. He, I said, man, what happened to that gator? He said, oh, it died of lead poison. <laughs> the, the lead poison, <laughs> you get it. He had to shoot it, you know. I said, what else do you kill here? Well, I kill foxes. I kill, I kill uh, raccoons. They mess with my guard. He kills a whole bunch of stuff, amen. How many know if you go to Uncle Dave's house, you're not scared? Come on. How many know you're not scared? If you're at Uncle Dave's house, what's there to be scared of? Uncle Dave got a whole, he's got a whole chest full of guns, one for all of the little critters out there making noise. I know we get to this point in our life where we go, well, well I know God's tough. I know God's tough, but, but I'm still scared. No, no, no. Listen, if you knew how tough your God was, you would never be scared again. 
If you knew how powerful God was and what that flea was, the devil, you and I would never be afraid again. Going back to my situation in the car, trials and tests come, but I didn't have to go into that reaction, did I? I mean, God used it. He doesn't look down on me, but he saw me. Come on, everybody look at an image here. He, God saw me shaking and getting afraid going through all this, and Jesus is like, Eat. the devil's just a mosquito. Swat him in Jesus' name. Swat that devil. I could hear, I could hear the Father telling me, speak the word. The quicker that we learn that our devil is nothing but a gnat to the power of our God, we will never, never fear again. Well, it's cancer. Well, it's, it's, it's recession. It's gas prices. If you and I knew how awesome our God is, we would never fear again. He knows how to provide in the times of famine. Have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever read it? Is, is it always going easy for the Israelites? No, but he always seems to make a way where there is no way. Isn't that the God that you serve? Oh, there's no food around here, God. Oh, I'll bring up manna right now from the ground like dew. Oh, God, there's, there's a famine. I'll send one of my boys over there to Egypt to run the whole thing so he can take care of you, Jacob. God always knows how to care, provide and care. Trust his rod and his staff. Amen. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6 in closing. Daryl, would you come, please? These scriptures are here to encourage us. I didn't get to the transportation miracle, but write down Acts 8, 39, and 40 about Philip taking a trip after he baptized the Ethiopian eunuch one place to the other. And then you can write down John chapter 20, verse 26, where Jesus appears in a room where the door was locked. I wish I had time to get into this. But you can trust our God that these scriptures tell us the truth. They're just discovering now in the, the world of particle physics that there really is no difference in space, that what we, uh, what we see as space is really something that can be navigated by these powers and energies even in the natural world. In other words, when you look, see, I'm going to get deep right now, and then I'm going to get lost in this. I got to get you to 2 Timothy, but let me just get deep here real quick. When you look at this screen or you look at that screen, see, they have pixels. They have images, right? And so when we look at this word S here, we go, well, S is here, right? So S is right here. This is where S is. Everybody say it's right here. But how many know it can also be right here? See, now, now did, did, did this S move over here? No, but there's an S here and there's an S here, right? How many places is God right now? Was that hard to understand? Now, you might say, well, well, how does that work? See, God is the whole screen. God can appear here. God can appear. God can appear wherever he wants. Just like I could put a, I could put a million S. I could put S's here that are the, the size of every pixel. You see, God has the ability to maneuver in his creation however he wants. We know that that can be done in movies. We know that, you know, these characters can, you know, like beam me up, Scotty. We know that that can be done. We know on a screen I can put a bunch of S's here. I can do all of these things. But we, we doubt God when it comes to his power. God's world is our, God's virtual world, his second world is our first world. So when God comes from his place of heaven to this place of earth, it's like us going into a screen or us going into a video game or us going into a movie. Nothing's impossible for him. Amen. Can I hear an amen to that? 
God can appear as many places as he wants, and if he wants to move you from here to here, he can do it easily. Just, just, and, and just as if I wanted to write an S here, and then just hit space, 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 space. And if I made that moving of the space of the S moving, if I did it in a split second, it would be S to here. You get what I'm saying? Boom to boom. I can do that with an S. You're telling me God can't do that with his son or take Philip on a journey or walk through a locked door? What are doors, right? What are these? They're just particles. And I'm not trying to say, oh, man, just deny reality, become like water in the universe, bend the spoon in the matrix. But they are onto something. But our God is the one in control, not a force. Amen? Okay, that was pretty good. We got through that. Amen? I didn't get too deep. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. I was talking to a gentleman yesterday, and he said, well, I don't know if I can believe all that miracle stuff. And I gave him just that simple answer, and then he got over his objection. So use these when you're talking to people who think that miracles are like just like so impossible, like they're illogical. There's nothing illogical about a miracle. Just like in the, in the video game, you could get blowed up and come back to life. God can raise Lazarus as many times as he wants. It, th this world is God's second world. He created it out of the heavenly world. There is nothing that's impossible for him here. Amen? He created it by the spoken word. He can arrange it and set it up in any moment as he wants to. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, because this is where I want to be. I want to be here, and I want to grow in this more than I ever have before. For this reason, I'm, I remind you, Paul talking to Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So there was a spiritual transference of, of, of gifts and callings and abilities upon Timothy's life. That's why we believe in godly fellowship and accountability here and praying for one another. Now look at verse 7. For the Spirit of God. That spirit that God gave us does not make us timid. So if you have the spirit of God, you can't be made timid if you're doing what he asks you to do. It's impossible because God's the most powerful force in the world. Well, I was just afraid. I, I couldn't stop it. No, you have the unstoppable power of God in you. When you have the Spirit of God, nothing can stop the peace that you have. You're not a stormy person looking for peace. You are at rest fighting through every storm. In other words, you're not looking for victory. You're standing in victory against everything coming against you. The Spirit that God gave us doesn't make us timid. Therefore, if it can't do it and won't do it, you don't ever have to be afraid again like this. Because what the Spirit of God does, what He does in us, He gives us, let's say together, power, love, and self-discipline. And the King James says, sound mind. Now, I like that better if you could put it up, please. Because self-discipline makes it look like you're going to try to do something in yourself. The sound mind is what God gives you that passes all of your understanding. The sound mind is what God gives you that relates to His mind, that connects you to seeing things the way He sees it. I don't want you just to see it as self-discipline, like you're going to try to walk on rice paper, you know? You're going to practice the crooked chicken, as I always say. No, that's not what we're learning there. The Scripture says, yes, it will come out to self-control and those things, but the primary focus here, putting the King James, please, 2 Timothy 1.7, is a sound mind. Because if your mind's not right, it doesn't matter how many yoga poses you do. It doesn't matter how many uh, counselors you see. The mind's got to change first. The mindset's got to change. And, and this is why, this is why when you follow through the book of John and you begin to see their journey, 
you see that at the end of their life, especially in the book of John, after Peter denies Christ out of fear, that when Peter is reinstated, these boys do not fear again. They're not shooken up anymore. These disciples become the most courageous people that have ever walked on this planet. You watch them and how they live. You read the book of Acts and you think you're, you're reading Marvel. You start to see how Peter stands up and preaches in Jerusalem, the same place where they crucified Jesus, where he was denying Jesus before, even to a little girl cursing him out. You see now that he's willing to get beat for Jesus and keep on preaching. Even after an angel rescues him from the, the, the arrest that he got, he goes right back out to where they were and goes back to preach. These men become fearless. Why? Because they now understood that the Spirit of God is not going to ever make them afraid to do the will of God. They will always have courage when they have the Spirit of God. They will have power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? Can I hear an amen? If you've got power, love, and a sound mind, praise God. Would you stand up with me today as the band comes? How many today know that Jesus is with you and that the shore is closer than you think? So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, sister. Don't be afraid, brother. Don't be afraid, a businessman or woman. Don't be afraid, mother or father, praying for your children. Don't be afraid, husband or wife. Don't be afraid, young adult, single person. Don't be afraid, college student. Don't be afraid, entrepreneur. God is with you. Those listening to us even online, don't be afraid at home. Don't be afraid at the hospital. Don't be afraid as you walk the streets. God is with you. God is with us. The great I am, he's right there, man. He's right there. When they were threatening us the other day, yesterday, because we were preaching towards that young man's mom, she said she proudly said she was a lesbian. And we said, well, you're not right with God. And he said, basically, he tried to do a Will Smith with us. Take, your, take my mom's name out your mouth. He threatened us. But God was there, amen. And the police, praise God. <laughs> I called out to the police. Hey, this man's threatening us. But God is with us. Father, I thank you today that this message permeates beyond just a pep rally. I pray that your Holy Spirit right now, right now, Holy Spirit, comes alongside the boat of everybody's storms and reveals Jesus. The Holy Spirit is another like Jesus to point us to Jesus. If you're here right now and you're going through a storm, as these altar workers begin to come, you can come up to the front or pray where you're at. But right now, ask the Holy Spirit to show you Jesus. Oh, show me Jesus. Show me Jesus.